what I love about Cleveland Public is the two levels and like having to like go into the stacks and like up the stairs <laughs> and it feels like yes no I love that too so it yeah. feels very like otherworldly to do that and so I I love any book that gives me an excuse to be able to like go find it in the stacks welcome to page count presented by the Ohio Center for the Book at Cleveland Public Library This podcast celebrates authors, illustrators, librarians, booksellers, literary advocates, and readers in and from the state of Ohio. I'm your host, Laura Maylene Walter, the Ohio Center for the Book Fellow and author of the novel Body of Stars. In today's episode, we're speaking with Jill Grunenwald, an author, librarian, and a fellow podcaster who co-hosts Overdrive's long-running Professional Book Nerds podcast. We're going to take a meta dive into the world of podcasting for writers today, which will include some podcast 101 advice for anyone who might want to start their own podcast, as well as tips for writers who might be invited to give an interview for a podcast. Jill, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. The first thing I always ask all my guests is about their own personal Ohio connection. So let's begin there. Sure. I was born and grew up in Summit County in Hudson, Ohio, went to college at Bowling Green State University. I spent about two years out of the state in my entire life. (laughs) That was for grad school. And then I moved back to Ohio 15-ish years ago and I live in Cleveland and I've been up back in Northeast Ohio ever since. And I know you work at Overdrive, which is based here in Cleveland. And I think a lot of our listeners are probably familiar with Overdrive, or they use the Libby app to access their library books, for example. But for those who might not be familiar, can you tell us a bit about Overdrive and what your role is there? So Overdrive is a company that creates the Libby app. We also have our legacy Overdrive app, which allows you to check out ebooks, audiobooks, magazines, all sorts of fun stuff for free from your library right on your device. And I have been at Overdrive for seven years. I started as a staff librarian, right? helped the sales team and worked with libraries to add books to their collections. For the past four years, I've been on the marketing team as a marketing and communications specialist. So I manage our blog, I write copy for various marketing collateral, and I, um, yes, co-host the Professional Book Nerds podcast as well. Well, let's talk about that. Tell us how this podcast got started. And you were in at the very ground floor, is that correct? Just tell us how this all got started. Perhaps unsurprisingly, there are a lot of readers at Overdrive. We love books. We love talking about books, specifically on the team where I started as digital content librarian. And one day I was chatting with coworkers. I'd been there for maybe a month or two. And I was just like, we should have a podcast. And I had a little bit of experience podcasting previously. I had an older podcast that was running related. And so I had some experience podcasting. I went to a coworker on the marketing team and suggested Overdrive start a podcast that was just about books. And luckily, we work at a company where if you come to them with an idea, they're just sort of like, yeah, sure, let's see what happens. And we had no idea. I still kind of joke even now, almost seven years into this, that we're like three children in a trench coat and that a lot of it is still (laughs) very much kind of on the fly made up as we go along. (laughs) The first episode went live December 2015. And those first few episodes, really recommend listening to them. We are still figuring out sound situation and they're a little rough to listen to. Um, (laughs) And... 
you know, we have come a long way in that regard. My previous co-host, Adam and I co-hosted together for six years. He took another job opportunity last summer. So for the second half of 2021, it was just me. And then I had two new people join me this year. So there are now three of us who co-host, Joe and Emma, and we're still going strong. So we'll see what happens as we continue to make all these episodes. We do two episodes a week. Monday, our author interviews. Thursdays, our book chats, where we chat about genres. We chat about upcoming books. We chat about, yeah, again, just people with a microphone in front of them talking about books that they love. So I don't remember if we've officially hit 650 episodes yet, but it's it's probably close to that. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> That is amazing. And it's very impressive. Two episodes a week. So page count only comes out one episode every two weeks. So I can't even imagine. I know it's a lot of work. I know you do the author interviews and you give book recommendations, which is really great. Are there any big things you can point to in terms of how Professional Book Nerds has evolved over those nearly seven years? When we started, we actually were one episode every other week. And then the author interviews we didn't really know how those were going to work and if it was even going to be a long-term permanent thing. And then once publishers started to show interest, then it became a, a standard feature of the podcast and we started doing them. Yes, two episodes a week. It's a lot. I don't know if I'd necessarily recommend that for anyone starting out. I think, you know, when the we used to record in the office, we had a little small recording studio and I think the pandemic was for so many people, we had to adjust and pivot rapidly to figure out how to still make it work remotely for us. But I do think the author interview sets us apart from a lot of other book podcasts. And we just are fortunate to work for a company that has those established relationships with publishers that they will have authors come on. And for me personally, I think the big moment I realized that this podcast had become something was when the publicist started to come to us. In the beginning, we sort of had to like beg and be like, do you have any authors you could maybe have come on our podcast? It's very low stakes. We promised to promote it. It'll <laughs> and then when we started getting pitches from very well-known New York Times bestsellers, we're like, oh, people, this is a thing now. And they are coming to us. And that's very unexpected. But that, I think, was a moment when I sort of realized we had entrenched ourselves within this community. Well, speaking of that community, let's offer some tips for anyone listening right now who might be interested in starting their own first podcast. What do you think it is about books and podcasting that go together? Why could this be a good way for a writer or a book lover to go to start their own podcast? I think books and podcasts go together so well because so much of deciding what books to read is word of mouth. And I know that if a friend recommends a title to me, I will probably move it further up my TBR than if it was just a book review I read, you know, the newspaper. The mode of podcasting, because you listen to people, you get to hear those inflections, you get to kind of know them in a sense. And it becomes like that friend recommending a title to you which is always fun. I mean, I have podcasting friends who also do book podcasts. And if they recommend a title, I'm like, oh, well, they said mentioned it on their podcast. I feel like I can trust them. So I think that that sense of trust gets built there if you listen to a book podcast long enough. What do you think someone should 
prepare or have in mind when they're getting ready to start a new podcast? So what are your first pieces of advice? How should they get started? That's a really good question. And because again, we sort of just made this up and had no idea what we were doing. It seems like that is the spirit of a lot of podcasters (laughs) where you just, you have a passion about something and you go into it, which I think I respect that, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, I do too. But like looking back over the past almost seven years, I'm like, well, there probably were things we could have done differently. I think one of the first big things to decide is what cadence of podcasting works best for you and is sustainable for you. Like I said, we started one episode every other week, and then ended up bumping it up to two a week, which is a very dramatic, very big jump. But I would urge, like personally, as someone who is somewhat risk averse and likes to be cautious, I would say start with fewer episodes, because then you can build up versus building down becomes a little bit trickier. And just figure out what works for you. And if you need to change, you can change. My other big suggestion, which we did not do and have gotten better at now is front load and record as many episodes in advance as you can, and then release them as time goes on. For a long time, probably more than I'm willing to admit, I would come to work on Wednesdays and my coworker would be like, we need an episode for tomorrow and we would have to scramble. That gives me a panic attack. (laughs) It just was how it worked. You know, we do this on top of our regular jobs. And sometimes things just sort of would slip through. And we always came through, we always figured it out. Now that there are three of us, we all have the capacity a little bit more to plan out in advance and record things in advance. But yeah, when we started, it was very much week to week. And probably even after we had been established, it was very much week to week. And I don't like that now. And so if you're starting out, and you have the ability just record a bunch of stuff in the beginning and get yourself ahead and then kind of start releasing it. And I think the other thing to consider is, you know, we don't do seasons on our podcast. We do, when I say two episodes a week, I mean like 52 weeks of the year. We always do episodes. And I sometimes get jealous of podcasts that have established seasons because they have a time where they're not producing episodes or releasing them. They might be using that time to record them which would be smart. So I think sort of asking yourself that question in terms of sustainability is not just how many episodes per week, but how many episodes per year? Is it a year round thing like we are? Or does something like doing seasons more sustainable for you as podcasters? I think that's great advice because I do know one thing that's very important for any podcast is to be consistent with how and when you release your episodes. If you are a weekly podcast, it should come out every week and you shouldn't just skip three weeks because that consistency is really important. I agree on banking the episodes. I'm the only person who hosts the podcast and I also edit it and everything. And so we definitely bank episodes. It can take a few months sometimes before an episode airs. And there is that balance of you know, not wanting to record something too, too early, but it helps to have everything kind of lined up and ready to go. And I would also add, so Professional Book Nerds, I think is a fabulous name for a podcast. I love it. And you've been around a long time. I found though, picking the name of the podcast was one of the most challenging parts because you need a name that is not already in use. And by this point, 
I think everyone knows there are so many podcasts out there, including book podcasts or writing podcasts, and almost any book-related pun you can think of has been taken. <laughs> so that That's also true. is That's one true. of the hardest parts. Did you come up with the name Professional Book Nerds? I honestly don't remember how we came up with that name, if I'm being perfectly honest. My co-host on the marketing team may have come up with a couple different ones decided from there. I I don't remember how we came up with the name. (laughs) Well, that's good. It's not a painful memory for you then of going through many, many lists of names and then asking people to vote on lists of names, which I may or may not have gone through. Let's go through a few kind of rapid fire questions that we can both answer to give people an idea of how we each run our podcast. Now, first of all, yours is different because you have co-hosts and you do book recommendations. Page Count is primarily an interview-based podcast, but it might help people just to hear the technical side too. So first of all, what kind of microphone do you use or do your co-hosts use? At the office, we just upgraded to Blue Yeti microphones. This microphone that I'm using right now, I don't even remember what type it is. So that's not helpful at all. But it has an arm. It has an arm, which I hear is very good because table sounds won't affect it if you bump the table. And I see you also have a pop filter on yours, which I don't, but maybe maybe someday in the future. I also have, we use a Blue Yeti here. And you had said previously you had the recording space at Overdrive, but because of the podcast, you all just record remotely from home. Is that how you usually do it? Yes, it's hybrid now. So before the pandemic, we recorded in the office. There was a small room that was used for recording purposes for other business purposes within our organization that we sort of took over a little bit and added some soundproofing to And then during the pandemic, yes, we switched to recording online, everybody in their own home. And now we kind of have a mix where there's some people at home, some people are in the recording studio, and those microphones also have an arm because we did run into the table issue sometimes if you made too much noise. So it really just depends on who's in the episode and where they happen to be on that particular day. And I also want to ask about the software you use to record. And I do want to quickly put in here, I'm not asking these questions to suggest that we're endorsing any specific place. I know there are a lot of different websites and software and microphones and all sorts of things to use, which actually I think is one of the challenging parts of starting a podcast because you have so many things to choose from. And I did a lot of research and sometimes you end up with one thing for a reason unrelated to, to anything else. But what do you use to record the actual episodes? These days, we actually record just straight in Zoom and download Mm -hmm. everybody's individual tracks and we edit in Audacity. That is similar. We use Zencaster to record on separate tracks, but I do know Zoom can do that as well. I just haven't tried it that way. And we also edit on Audacity. So editing is the huge part. Who edits your podcast? Do you all do it? Is one person the designated editor? We all do it depending on who is sort of managing the podcast as the main host and also just whoever has the capacity to do it within their workflow for the week as well. So it's all of us. If you had to guess, just estimate, say you record for an hour, how long roughly do you think you would spend editing compared to the recording time? We don't cut a lot. And so if we recorded for an hour, the only things we would probably cut is If there's sort of general chatter before or after we started officially the episode that got caught in the recording, or if someone needed to start over an answer, yeah, we don't really cut a lot. So what 
you hear is pretty close to what we actually recorded. We try to be very efficient in whatever we record is what gets in. So I should take some inspiration from that because I don't cut a lot. So I don't cut a lot of actual content that anyone says, but I do a lot of editing, editing out ums, long pauses. I probably make, it feels like thousands of tiny, tiny edits throughout one episode, which it's an art form for sure that I am still learning and still finding my footing in. But I appreciate your approach of letting some more of it stand. So maybe I'll use that as inspiration. We'll see. I should say, I think if there are like really long pauses, that probably will yeah. cut. But yeah, you just easily shorten those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But for the most part, all those ums are still in there, at least when I edit. I think when we first started, we probably were a bit more editing heavy. But after a while, we're just like, whatever, just leave it. <laughs> <laughs> I aspire to reach that. And it is, if you take out every single um or every single verbal tick or whatever it is, a crutch word that someone has, if you take them all out, it doesn't feel human right. almost. It, so that's why, yeah, it's it's definitely a balance. What about the promotion side? So this for anyone wanting to start a podcast, you know, you're not just doing the research and interviewing people or finding your books to recommend, but you are also promoting the podcast. So people actually hear about it. So what have you done at Professional Book Nerds and what have you found that works best? When it comes to promoting the podcast, we mostly rely on social media. We have dedicated social media handles for the podcast on Twitter and Instagram and also TikTok. Um, The TikTok is mostly just book-related TikToks and not necessarily go listen to the podcast, but it's sort of the brand awareness all the same. We have the benefit of working for a company that has its own very large social media platforms. And so our social media person here at Overdrive will also do a lot of promotion of our episodes as well. When they come out, we leverage sometimes occasionally the Overdrive blog. So yeah, we benefit from working for a company that that has its own channels that we can sort of hop onto. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. If I were just on my own, I don't think I would have started a podcast like this just on my own because it's so daunting. There are so many podcasts. How do you cut through the noise or how do you make a name for yourself? And knowing that we're at the Ohio Center for the Book and Cleveland Public Library, that makes a big difference if the library can retweet our podcast, et cetera. It, it does make a difference. Not to discourage anyone who doesn't have that because, of course, there are many podcasts out there that are just bootstrapping it and rise because their content is so good, having good content. It's just like being a writer, having a really good manuscript is what will ultimately get you noticed, I believe, in the end. What have been some of your biggest challenges podcasting over these years? Some of the big challenges I've had is just knowing or not knowing like what was going to happen or how long it was going to be going on. The fact that I've been doing this for seven years kind of blows my mind a little bit. And I think also adapting to how well known we've become and like getting recognized or having publishers come to us. That sounds like a weird thing to necessarily complain about or call a challenge, but figuring out how to fit the podcast into everything else I do ultimately, because it's not my main job. And there's just different demands that come with the podcast and balancing it all. And on the flip side, Are there any unexpected benefits or joys of doing the podcast that you didn't necessarily expect? One of the most unexpected things that has come out of doing this podcast is 
becoming friends with writers that I've interviewed. And by friends, I mean, like, genuinely text messaging them outside of work and outside of whatever podcasting we've done, or just being known by authors that I admire and having them know who I am. I interviewed Lauren Groff about her book, uh, Matrix, that just came out. Something she mentioned before we started recording is that, you know, when I interview an author, if they haven't been on before or don't necessarily know who we are, I sort of give them a rundown and ask if they're familiar with the podcast. And she said she was because a previous interview I had done made the rounds on the Iowa Writer Workshop listserv. And I was like, the Iowa Writers Workshop is aware of my podcast. And one of my interviews was shared with (laughs) the Iowa Writers Workshop writers. Okay. So (laughs) that was just very unexpected. I think it's just sort of getting recognized within this field as being someone who is a good interview, that we are a podcast that people enjoy listening to. The fact that we have listeners, that people listen to us every week is still sort of very surprising to me. Well, do you have any resources to suggest for anyone who's planning to start their own podcast? That's a good question. And off the top of my head, I don't. And that's terrible. (laughs) And I'm sorry. That's fine. I can share in the show notes. And it might be probably because I started a podcast much more (laughs) recently (laughs) than you. But NPR has a great book, The Podcast Startup Guide, Create, Launch, and Grow a Podcast on Any Budget that I thought was really great. And this might sound really silly and obvious, but when I was making plans for page count, I went to Apple Podcasts and I searched for how to start a podcast. And I found some series of very short, easily digestible episodes talking about how to start a podcast. And I found it really fascinating. I was really interested in it, which is what told me that I should be doing this. Because if I'm interested enough to listen to a podcast about how to start a podcast, then clearly this is just meant to be. That's actually a good point and sort of idea is presumably if you want to start a podcast, you listen to podcasts. And I think just sort of asking yourself, what is it about these podcasts that I like? Do I want to try and replicate or what do I not like about these podcasts or don't think would work for whatever I want to do? I mean, in that way, it's a lot like writing. You know, when you read, read, the more you pick up on what works for you as a reader and how can you do that in your own writing. So I think the same can be done with podcasts as well. Would you like to share with us any of your favorite podcasts, either book related or otherwise? So Reading Glasses is one of the book podcasts I listen to a lot. I love Mallory and Bria. They always offer really great book recommendations. Uh, Mallory is a writer herself. Bria works in the film industry. So they always bring very unique insight. Outside of book podcasts, I listen to Maintenance Phase a lot. That's one of my favorites as well. Yeah. I love Maintenance Phase. I probably listen to more and Right now, my brain has frozen and I can't remember any of them. Oh, the TV show Westworld, I'm a big fan of. And there's a podcast run by the guys behind Shad on TV who do deep dive into just Westworld. And so that's a very microcosm of each season, the show. So it's only when the show is on, do they have the podcast? But I always like their insights into the show. I've always enjoyed a podcast about TV shows, which is really interesting. And it also makes me think, okay, well, just how much of my time now is spent on these on TV shows. (laughs) But it is, you know, when you're washing dishes, you're not going to be reading a book at the same time anyway, probably. So yeah, but I, I like the Always Sunny podcast. 
what is it? Love to see it, which is a feminist podcast about the Bachelor franchise. (laughs) So these are some podcasts that I listen to. But Maintenance Phase is one of my favorites. You know, there are certain podcasts when they show up in your feed, that's immediately what you're going to listen to. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, so you've done a lot of author interviews. So let's change gears a bit and give some advice for authors who might appear on podcasts. So first of all, what is your view of the current landscape for how podcasts fit into a lot of authors' promotional activities when their book comes out? That's a good question. I think podcasts provide a unique channel to reach readers that the author may not reach otherwise, just because it's not sort of traditional marketing or publicity. But I do think more authors and more publicists and publishers are recognizing that there is a benefit on a podcast. You have that conversational tone and sort of like I was saying, how once you listen to a podcast, you get to hear the voices and the inflections and you start to get to know the podcasters on a different level than just reading an interview. I think the same can be said for when an author is on a podcast. You you really get to hear how they speak and get to know them on a different level than if you were just to read an interview on a website or in a magazine or something like that. And let's say an author has maybe their first book is coming out and they have been invited onto a podcast and it's the first time they've ever been a guest on a podcast. What advice would you give them? If it's the first time you've ever done that and um, you're probably nervous, which is fair, you can ask for questions in advance. If that's something, if you want to prepare a little bit that way, we have been asked that by certain writers to get the questions in advance if we have them. But ultimately, one of the things I run into a lot, and this happens with writers who are brand new, who are well-established, but somehow we end up being one of the first, if not the first interview they do at all about a new book. And not everyone has their elevator pitched down about what the book is about. And that always seems to throw people off sometimes. And again, this happens with very well-established writers where they just haven't talked to anybody about the book yet and they haven't had a chance to really fine-tune how they describe it. So before you go on the podcast or really any interview, figure out how to succinctly describe what your book is about in a way that makes people want to read it because that's what you're there for is to get people to want to read your book. Yeah, that's really good advice. And I think I would add You definitely need to prepare your elevator pitch about your book. Be prepared to discuss that. Anticipate, even if you don't see questions in advance, you can probably anticipate some really common questions that authors get asked or maybe the subject matter of your book. So anticipate those. And I wouldn't say over-prepare. Don't write down every answer that you plan to give verbatim because that will come off being really stiff. And it's interesting that you sometimes share questions with authors in advance. I will definitely, if someone asks me, share some basic questions I know I'm going to ask them or some topics I know I'm going to ask them about. But I really don't even go into an interview with a regimented set of questions. I have my list. I have done all my research. I've read their books, of course, but I will have bullet points of general questions and topics because I know myself I can overprepare and it makes it feel more like a conversation if you actually let things naturally come up. I know it's hard. I get nervous too when I'm interviewed for anything, but to just view it as a conversation and try to get into the flow of the conversation versus being too kind of strict about how you're answering. That's entirely fair. I think the few instances where it did happen where they they asked for specific questions or topics in advance was authors whose books 
perhaps touched on sensitive subjects and they just wanted to be prepared about what would be asked or they will sometimes tell us to not bring up certain things. Oh, yes. I think it's important to check with people. Yeah. So don't be afraid to ask the host whether the podcast will be edited and in what capacity. If it is a video podcast, it's less likely they'll be doing a lot of editing for obvious reasons, but you should feel comfortable knowing if you can tell them you don't want to answer a certain question or if you can go back and start over. And I do always at the beginning, just try to quickly let people know that if I ask something they're not comfortable with, they can absolutely tell me and we'll just cut it right out, which has never happened, by the way. And I think part of that involves doing good research and also sensitive based on whatever the topic is that you're discussing. So yes, I think that's really important. And also just some behind the scenes, since this whole podcast is behind the scenes, we've been having some technical issues throughout this podcast. So hopefully it will be seamless when the episode comes out. But this is now the third recording in our one session. So fingers crossed we can get through. (laughs) Okay. Let's move on to talk just a little bit about your own writing because you are an author. You have written two memoirs, Running with a Police Escort, which is all about the world of running and being a slow runner. And it's it's really great. And your latest memoir is Reading Behind Bars, which is about your time working as a prison librarian. So I'm wondering if you could tell us just generally about your experiences writing memoir and how does this fit into your your larger life working at Overdrive and also doing a podcast? When I started writing Running with a Police Escort, I have previously not really done nonfiction or memoir writing. The closest I had was a blog, which is not quite the same, but I was used to writing about my life in that way. My background is really in fiction writing, but Having been a slow runner who has completed two half marathons, you know, 10Ks, 5Ks, it was important to me to tell that story because I think when people think about running, they think about the very elite runners who win the first place, like the gold medal at the Olympics. But there is another side to that where people do take longer, but we still run the same amount of miles. And I had interest from a publisher. That book in particular, I was able to use a lot of blog posts from race recaps to kind of to remember what I was thinking and feeling the day of the actual race, which was very helpful. Reading Behind Bars came about in a somewhat similar fashion in wanting to tell the story about what it's like being a prison librarian. Because I know when I started working in the prison right after grad school, I did not know anything about prisons. And everything I did know was from popular culture, like Oz. You know, this is before Orange is the New Black, which gave a more um, realistic view of what prison life is like. I was able to watch Orange is the New Black and feel like this feels accurate to some extent to my experiences working as someone who had been employed at a prison. When I first started, I had no idea. And I didn't know that prisons even had libraries. It was not something that was discussed when I was in grad school for library science. And it was just a story that I felt needed to get out there to talk about the guys that I worked with inside who are not that much different than guys outside who just perhaps have not been caught doing certain things and have not been incarcerated for it. And... That one was written about 10 years after I stopped working at the prison. And so it required a lot more work in terms of memory and lining up timelines. 
memoir exists in this weird place. It's not that we lie. It's not that things are untrue. It's just a little bit nebulous in terms of how you tell the story because it tends to work a little bit more with creative writing than a lot of other nonfiction. You know, you employ more creative writing, I think, with memoir than you do in straight nonfiction storytelling. So when it came to reading Behind Bars, there were just things I could not remember. And I had to do a lot of research because I couldn't remember certain facts. But I'm like, these are things that people could look up, but I want to make sure I get them accurate. Also, it's not just my story. It is the story of the men I worked with. And I changed names. You know, there's some composite characters in there who are sort of taken from multiple men that were incarcerated at the time I was there. That one was definitely more challenging to write than writing with a police escort. But it again, just sort of came back to that wanting to get that story out there in the world. Can you tell us something about prison libraries that maybe most of our listeners don't know? I think what surprised me the most about the prison library is just how much their reading habits are the same as people on the outside. I don't know why this surprised me. It shouldn't have. I've worked in libraries for years, multiple different kinds. People read the same kind of books. Like everybody loves the same types of books. They would come in with the New York Times bestseller list wanting the books that were on the New York Times bestseller list. They love James Patterson because James Patterson is loved by people all over. The library was really popular. And that also surprised me. I mean, I went in admittedly with a lot of stereotypes, I think, about the sort of guys I would be working with. Those myths were busted very quickly. And the library was just super popular. And yeah, the reading habits are the same as what you would find in a public library outside. Well, unrelated to prisons, I did notice in Reading Behind Bars that there is a short scene set in Cleveland Public Library. So since that is <laughs> that is where I'm recording right now, thank you for the shout out. And you go into the, the literature department, which is where the Ohio Center for the Book is housed. I do. I, <laughs> I do. I go into the literature department. What I love about Cleveland Public is the two levels and like having to like go into the stacks and like up the stairs. <laughs> and it feels like this. Yes. No, I love that so, too. So it feels yeah. very very like otherworldly to do that. And so I, I love any book that gives me an excuse to be able to like go find it in the stacks where I have to like go in through the little... Right. Like, oh, it's the second half of the alphabet. Yes, I get to go yeah. upstairs. <laughs> well, I think writing memoir is I think such a challenging genre for a lot of reasons. I mean, not that I have written a memoir, but I have friends who have and have, you know, worked with a lot of writers working on memoirs. And it's personally difficult sometimes. Emotionally, it can feel really exposing. And then on the publishing side, I feel we've perpetually been hearing, oh, it's a tough time to publish memoirs. So for any listeners out there who are working on their own memoirs, what advice would you give them? The advice I would give to anyone working on their own memoirs is if that's what you want and you want to tell that story, just keep doing it. It's challenging for every genre. Right now, publishing is challenging at the moment. But if that's the story you want to tell and that's where your creative energy is being pulled, I fully support you and just continuing to write it and trying and getting it published if that's what you want to do. But I think ultimately, you know, writers just really figure out what story you want to tell and write that no matter what. I agree. And definitely 
you can't be discouraged by dire warnings right. about the state of publishing because they're always going to exist. <laughs> and and if you write a compelling memoir or you work at it really hard, I mean, you can find a home for it. Absolutely. So don't be discouraged. Is there anything you can share with us about what you might want to work on next or anything you're working on now with your own writing? So I have gone back to fiction writing. I will say that Running with a Police Escort and Reading Behind Bars were published by a small traditional publisher, and I did not have an agent for them. But now that I'm writing fiction, I do have a literary agent. So I am working, I'm sort of in those like beginning stages of a manuscript where you're just sort of sitting and staring out the window and thinking. <laughs> so I sort of figure yep, out next We step. all know that so well. <laughs> I'm in that stage right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure our listeners will be curious. So did you go through the regular querying process? Did you have a connection based on your book publications? How did you find your agent? This particular agent, yes, I went through the normal querying process. It took about 10 months. I queried about 50 agents over those 10 months. And I do have and try to use book publishing connections. Those agents did not work out, which is okay. Not every connection will. But yeah, I just went through the normal querying process out in the trenches like so many others. Yeah. No, I think that's really encouraging for people to hear because it is so hard to get an agent, right? It is tough. It's a tough business, a tough industry. The competition is really, really high and agents are overwhelmed with work. And sometimes I think writers believe they have to have a quote unquote connection or a referral. And and like you, I had over the years I've been writing and trying to get agents in earlier years of my career, I did have eventually some referrals. I had agents reaching out to me because they read my work elsewhere and almost none of those worked out. You know, they still ended up rejecting yeah. whatever project I had at the moment. And the agent I did end up signing with had reached out because she had read something. But I also got offers from agents who I just queried. So it really, the referral is not always the magic bullet that you think it is. In my experience, a referral means you might get a faster and more polite rejection. <laughs> that is probably accurate. I think a referral, yes, it maybe gets you to the top of the list in terms yeah. of order. Yeah. Which is good. Which is I mean, good. that's not nothing. It is not yeah. nothing, yes. But it doesn't mean a golden ticket to getting representation. Yeah. Yes. You still have to sell them on the manuscript itself. Definitely. Well, this has been really fun. Thanks for talking about some behind the scenes podcasting details with us. But before we go, I have the most important question of all. I know you're a cat person. So am I. Would you like to tell us about your cats? Sure. I have four cats, Chloe, Linus, Zelda, and Zoe. Chloe, Linus, and Zelda are all older I think Zelda's like 12, Linus is 14, 15, and Chloe's like 16, I think. And then there's Zoe, who is like three years old and is the youngin'. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah, four cats, it can be a handful sometimes. They all kind of tolerate each other, which I think is sort of the best you can expect from cats sometimes. Um, yeah, those are my cats. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Thanks for all the podcasting tips. And listeners, I hope you listen to professional book nerds. And I also hope that you read Jill's books. So Jill, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. 
A quick note here, earlier in this episode, I said that I do all the editing for the podcast. While that was true at the time of this recording, I've since had some help from Allison Guerin in the literature department at Cleveland Public Library. Allison has edited transcripts, put together some promotional clips, and done rough edits on a few episodes so far, hopefully with many more to come in the future. So Allison, thanks for all your help. Page Count is presented by the Ohio Center for the Book at Cleveland Public Library. Learn more online at ohiocenterforthebook.org, follow us on Twitter at CPLOCFB, or find us on Facebook. If you'd like to get in touch, email ohiocenterforthebook at cpl.org and put podcast in the subject line. Finally, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Laura Meaning. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back in two weeks for another chapter of Page Count.